I've got a great story on one of my Walmart interviews, the same exact story with a guy who got in with a line of kickballs that you see in all the mass merchandisers. It was the same thing. It was a beautiful ball with imprinting, with licensed characters and all these gorgeous designs that no one else had. And that's how he got into Walmart with an item that sold three times the normal price. And he would guarantee it, too. People don't think like that. But I have another example with Walmart. We didn't get in there first. What Jack got us in there first was wasn't school supplies. It was stickers. Because I did stickers again in this new company, but I did them differently. With Walmart, we got in there on price initially, but there are two different departments. So one buyer and another buyer is two different buyers. But we were selling the stickers. 3M was in there. And they were selling their package of stickers at 250 retail, because 3M sells nothing cheap. And ours were dollar retail, and ours were our metallic material, our prismatic. So Walmart tested it, and then they kicked 3M out. In this case, 3M had a facing eight pegs of stickers, and what we did is we created a little wire rack that would bolt onto their fixture, and it was painted the same color to match and all that. We'd give them the rack free, and we'd give them the stickers, and we'd sell them at a buck retail. So they could sell them at a buck instead of two and a quarter, and they'd turn more, and the price was cheaper for the same size product. So they took it, and we were in all the Walmart stores with stickers. How many Walmart stores were you in? However many they had. Did they pay on time? Oh, good story on the payment. I don't know why, but we've had good luck with the buyers telling us the real deal. And the buyer at Walmart said, if you do 2% and 10 net 30, we'll take that discount. Oh, yeah, I bet Walmart would. Because 2% 10 net 30, if you calculate the money, interest on money, that's a good deal. So we got paid in 10 days. We had a $900,000 check coming in 10 days. And so how many Walmart stores at that time were you in? 1,500, 1,600. However many there were, we were in all of them. You were shipping to their distribution centers? Yeah, there are like 12 distribution centers. We ship to them. At this point, we have a warehouse slot, and there's another story with that. What's a slot in a warehouse? Literally that. It's a place on a shelf on a warehouse for your product. You ship to the warehouse, and the warehouse distributes to the stores. The first thing I got in there with was what I call an in-and-out promotion, which does not go through the warehouse. It was Christmas stickers. Now, seasonal stuff, and there's no point in setting up a slot in a warehouse for something that's only going to be there two months of the year. So it's flow-through sale goes through the warehouse to the store without getting a slot. And here's an example of one I sold based on price. They're buying our 4x6 stickers. The sticker material's gotten cheaper, and now I'm going to go to them with an 8x10 sheet of stickers for Christmas, which is 80 square inches opposed to 12 for the same price. Because I get how to make them cheaper. That was an easy sale. They said, okay, you're going to sell us this 8x10 package of the same stuff for the same price as this one thing that's one-sixth the size. We'll buy it. They didn't test it because you tested this Christmas sweat and roll it out next Christmas. No. They just put it in every store right away because the logic says, hey, if a 4x6-inch sheet of stickers will sell at a buck, will an 8x10 sheet sell at a buck? How could it not? So we did stickers and gift tags and labels and stuff for Christmas, and that was a flow-through thing. It was right around a million-dollar order, and no testing involved, and it went great. But the warehouse slot, we got approved for the stickers to replace 3M. Walmart told us that when the order comes through, you're shipping a week, or you won't get the order. We said, okay. So that means we have to put it in inventory. Mm -hmm. We can't make it that fast for as big an order as they're going to give us. And they said, once the warehouse slot is approved, you get your order. At this point, everything is EDI. It's all electronic. We have one EDI system for Target, another one for Walmart. They're on different hardware and different software, so we have two sets. And our warehouse slot doesn't get approved. Or it got approved, but we don't get it. So now I've got close to a million dollars worth of stickers for this order sitting there, and my suppliers won't pay. Imagine that. Where was the slot? How come you didn't get it? 
Well, the buyer said we'd get the order. The warehouse lot is approved. You're going to get the order. But it took nine months. Nine months later, we eventually got the order. But I needed to pay the suppliers. They weren't going to sit on us for nine months. I ended up having to get other people to put money in the company, and I ended up losing control of the company. So you got by with your financials with Walmart on this one because you used that technique? Or was that with the first time you were in Walmart? No, it worked. It worked it, on this one, too. But the financials, yeah. What I'm saying, though, is it won't work now? It wouldn't work now. No. In 92, it worked. I got in the same way on the financials part. Stuff starts selling, and they get less concerned. All right, so what happened? How much money did you owe to your vendors? It took nine months to get the order, right? About $400,000. This is kind of interesting. Tell me, where did you find the money? How did you finance it? Well, here's what I'm trying to finance first. I'm trying to finance the promise of a purchase order. <laughs> a purchase order, if you read the back, is canceled at any time before shipment at no recourse. So you can't even really borrow on a purchase order from Walmart. Banks won't blend on a purchase order? No, because the purchase order says they can cancel at any time and you have no recourse. I didn't know that. I mean, I thought a purchase order from Walmart is as good as gold. Nope. It's not worth anything. An uh, invoice to Walmart is gold. Anybody will finance an invoice. That's after the purchase order. Right, once I've shipped it, it's an accounts receivable. Easy, 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 because Walmart is golden. Everybody wants to finance that. But a purchase order can be canceled before it's shipped. It's not a legal document. So they're telling you they want it, but until you ship it and it's receivable, it's a promise. And now we're talking about a promise of a promise. Sure, we've got the P.O. It's coming any day now. Yeah, checks in the mail. We're getting this thing that you can't finance even when we get it. All right, so what'd you do? So we got it financed by private individuals, but they wanted stock to go with it. Oh, stock of the corporation. Ownership, yeah. And how much did you have to give away? I didn't have to give away all that much at the start, but by the time we got the order, 90%. 90%. Look at it this way. If I don't have that, I'm gone because my creditors want their 450 grand, and I'm a little company and just put me out of business. You have no bargaining power whatsoever in this situation. But the order does come through, and we ship the stickers, and we get in, and all is well. And my analogy on this is 3M is the elephant. And we kicked the elephant in the shin, and being big and slow, he didn't notice us for about a year, and then he did, and he turned around and squashed us. What did they do? 3M wanted their space back, but they didn't want to discount their price any. So they said to Walmart, we want our space back. We just recognized that we lost our space for a year. How insignificant were they didn't notice? And they got back in. You know how? How? They told Walmart, we will have an in-store person go to every one of those displays in every one of your stores every week, and we will service that display and replace what needs replacing, and we'll do that for free. And Walmart says, well, can you guys do that? Says, um, no, we really don't have a way of going in all 2,000 of your stores every week, and if we hire someone to do it, we won't make any money. And so that was it. So 3M got us out. Did your investors get their money back? Oh, at this point, we're doing other things. Investors got paid when we collected the first payment. They got paid back right away. When we got kicked out of Walmart, that's like 10 months later, and 3M has people in the store anyway. They sell Walmart so much stuff that they're in the store doing store-level work. So adding that service from the point of view of 3M has a cost of zero. Adding that service from a point of us has a cost of a tremendous amount of money. So once they realized what we did and they thought about it a little bit, they got their space back. But being a little company, you can be quick and make a million bucks before they figure it out. Oh, that's a great story. And then we got the school supplies in. I got another story with the school supplies. Now, was this after the company went down? The first sticker company was in Iowa. The second company is in Boulder, and this company is doing school supplies. The other company didn't do school supplies because the material was too expensive back then. So this is my new company with 10 employees, and 
not making anything. So we're doing well on Target. We're doing well on Safeway, and we're doing well other places. Walmart will give us a test because we do our homework on the category. We do our homework on what they have. We have our sell-through information. We know how many pieces sell per week, and we know what our gross profit is or what their gross profit is will be on it. And you go in with a presentation that says, okay, guys, here's our presentation. You will make 350% more money for the same shelf space with our product than you will with the one that's sitting there right now. And here are the facts and figures to prove it. Can we have a test? And basically, Walmart reacts, okay, you've given them the proof that the document is sell-through proof in other stores that your stuff will sell. And you've shown them how it will be better for Walmart. It gives them a different category of product. It sells better. It makes them more money. The kids will want it. And the way I look at this is you're basically making a sales presentation with many points in it. On every point you make, you want to prove that point. You want to assume that their reaction to everything you say is you're full of BS. And you need to have solid proof of every point and build it like a lawyer's case, step by step by step. You know, like a good direct sales letter. Exactly. That's a sales presentation. Exactly. And like a good direct marketing letter, you want to prove things with testimonials and facts and figures and not ask people to believe you. Same thing with an in-person presentation to Walmart. But once you're there, if your stuff doesn't sell or you don't ship on time, you're out. What happens if the stuff doesn't sell? Do you have to take it back? No, we didn't sell it on guaranteed sale. They just mark it down and blow it out. But the funny story about Walmart is after a couple of years, there's this company called Need Paper, a multi-billion dollar paper company that also makes these portfolios. In the case of school supplies, we took their space. Not all of it. They probably had 30 feet. We took 40. And they came out with a whole prismatic line. Right. You know what? I've seen it. And guess what? It didn't sell. The way they got into Walmart is second year. Our stuff had sold out, and school supplies don't get reordered. It's like Christmas, in and out. So ours sold out, and then the next year, I guess they just put their stuff in there the second year. So their stuff was there, and our stuff sold out, and their stuff didn't sell. The bottom line is that Walmart told me that we'd like to return this $2 million worth of stuff that didn't sell, and Mead said to them, well, we didn't sell it on those terms, but if you kick that other company out, we'll do it. So we get kicked out. Our products sell through, but we get kicked out anyway because Walmart wants the $2 million return. Meads didn't sell because their artwork sucked. That was why. But they wanted us out of there, and Walmart wanted the credit. If I were Walmart, I'd do the same thing. So the next year, Mead was there and we weren't. So in talking to people who want to sell to Walmart, I tell them that even if you get in, and even if your product sells twice as well as your competitors, that doesn't mean you get to stay. You can always get kicked out. You can get kicked out if you make them more money per square foot than your competitor, and you deliver on time, and you do everything you're supposed to do, and you make them more money, you can still lose. more pieces to the puzzle than you're seeing. Now, what if you had an exclusive on the manufacturing process of that prismatic paper? Then that wouldn't have happened. It was a company who was making all that stuff. The paper was Van Leer, and there were a bunch of ones doing the vinyl. They embossed a metallic pattern into vinyl or polyester, and then they metalize it with a similar process that's used to put the metal on a plastic bumper on a car. Now, wouldn't you like to have been that guy? Yeah, that would be nice, but wasn't there. Now, with Walmart, though, I had my promotion on the stickers, and you got to be real careful with them or with Target either. If they think you're putting a promotion on there to help you that doesn't help them, lose. How did you get them to let you do that? What I wanted to do with Walmart now is our stickers are going to not be free anymore, but they're a mail-in offer for seven ninety-five, and you're going to get 500 stickers. But they're loose stickers. They're not the same type of thing they're buying in the store. And the other thing is that for every UPC code they send in, they get a dollar off, up to four. Now, the product costs a dollar. So if a kid wants to get this mail-in offer, if they buy four more packages of stickers, they get their $4 back. So Walmart loved that. They see that as a way to sell four more packages of stickers. And so the 
buyer not only liked the promotion, he says, you need to put a starburst on the front of this package calling that out. And did you do that? This is building us a mail order business. So what happened? How many names were coming back? Thousands and thousands. I since got divorced, and my ex-wife still does that. She still has a business direct with consumers that come from those packages and stickers. Now, I took this in one other place. This is sort of like one company leads to another company leads to another company. I'm seeing that this prismatic stuff is popular, and kids like it. And at the same time, I was doing school supplies. This little mail order thing had morphed into a separate business. So I have two businesses at once. One's really, really tiny, the mail order thing. But we noticed from taking the kids to the doctor that the pediatricians have these stickers that are paper, and they're all round circles. Sure. I still get them for my kids. Yeah, they're from a company called Smile Makers. Are they a direct mail company? Yeah, and I'll tell you how I know that. We said, you know what? What was in stores was paper stickers, too, before our stuff came along. I wonder if these doctors would rather have our stuff. So we're going to do a direct mail, and we put together this mailing, which is funny when you think about it now. We took about 15 or so little prismatic stickers, and we put them in an envelope with an order form. No sales letter, no letter, no dear Dr. Smith, nothing. How much were you selling them for? A $25 box that was like 300 stickers in the little cigar box. And we mailed this out to pediatricians, and we got like a 35% response. Wow, that's great. Was that your first direct mail type promotion? Yes. And now you fell in love with direct mail. First direct mail. I said, holy cow. How many did you mail out the first time? 100. And you got 35 orders, and you said, bingo. They said, oh, my God, maybe we should mail another 100. There's 39,000 pediatricians. So we get more sophisticated. We get more stickers. We end up with a four-page flyer that is an order form. <laughs> it's all different things they can buy, four pages worth. And now we've gotten really aggressive and included a reply envelope. Did all those things help response? Yes. Well, we had more to sell. And as we went along, we said, well, I buy a $25 box of stickers. I wonder if they'll buy $50 worth if they're a little cheaper each. So we do a $50 box. Hey, they buy those. Well, let's do a $100 box. Gosh, they buy those. Let's do a $250 box. Through the whole process, we got up to a $2,500 factory case, and that wasn't in a little cigar box now. It was a three-by-four-foot box that had the press sheets from the manufacturer, weighed 150 pounds, and it's 52,000 stickers. For these doctors? For a doctor's office. And how much were they paying for these? 2500 bucks. Oh, my God. A lot of doctor's offices were going for that? Not the little ones. It was Mayo Clinic bought them. Big hospital. And the Mayo Clinic is a good story. It was a double case. Our single case is 1200 Our double case is 2500 They bought the single case, so we said, well, I don't know, maybe you'll buy a double case. I said, sure, if they're a little cheaper, we will. So we're selling these. And then eventually, a couple of years later, someone in the purchasing department figures out that they're paying about four times what the paper ones cost. And they discontinue buying from us. And they have a revolt. The nurses and the people in pediatrics and all those people, they have a major, major upset there. And about four months later, the buyer calls back and says, can we please, please, please buy from you again? We have a real problem over here with our staff. Because they really love them and the kids love them. The kids love them and the nurses love them and everybody there loved them. And they didn't care if they cost four times as much as they wanted them. So we got back in that way. At the height of that business, we have... 10,000 medical offices and hospitals in the U.S. and Canada as customers, and we're doing around a million bucks a year. And now I've gotten innovative. I'm doing pearlescent, real holograms, all kinds of holograms, seasonal stickers. We're doing direct mail every three weeks to all our list, and we send out seasonal specials. And every season we have stickers and you know, all kinds of things, many designs. Were you mailing out to all 30,000 every three weeks? No. We mailed out to all our customers. Mail about 8,000 every three weeks. Then we do lead generation stuff. You know, I'd send out a package insert or one thing or another. 50,000 or 100,000 or something. But our catalog is still blue ink, white paper, four-page order form. And now I decide I'm going to look like Smile Makers. Smile Makers is the elephant in this industry. 
doctors and dentists, and so are they, but they're doing 25 million. So they're 25 times their size. And they have a 100-page color catalog. So I said, well, we're ready to take a step up. We're going to make a color catalog. And we have some really great stuff. We have endangered species stickers and information about the animal on the back. We have pearlescent and holographic and color changing and things that change when you touch them. We have fuzzy ones. We have everything except paper. And Smile Makers has paper. And our first catalog is going to be 24 pages. And they find out about it. And I didn't know this at the time, but they've been trying to figure out how to make the stuff we were selling because they could see that people were buying it. And they were having problems trying to figure out how to get stuff made. And they found out we were going to do a 24-page catalog, and we were going to mail 50,000 of them on the first press run. And they came up to see us. The president of the Slamakers came up, and we showed them the catalog because why not? We're friendly. We're not that big, either of us. They say that they want to buy our company. And what they didn't say at the time, but what they wanted to do is they wanted to buy our company before we could mail that catalog. They were scared of 24 pages of things that they couldn't do. So we sold the company for $1.2 million, which is way more than it was worth, because, hey, why not? Yeah, why not? I could always start another company. And then I go on contract with them as a consultant, and I saved them in their printing processes. This is pretty funny because I'm not the manufacturing guy, but they were what I call letting their art department run amok. They had 78 colors they were using, and they were using letterpress printing. And I'd by now discovered that for the stuff that had a paper base, we were using flexo printing. And I basically got down there and I said, guys, we got to change your process. we got to change some of the colors, and I'm going to make this thing a better way than you're making it. And your artist will be able to tell a difference with a magnifying glass, but the consumer won't, and I'll prove it to you. So they paid for the test, and I went ahead and got them made stuff the other way. The consumer can't tell the difference. The artist can because they can't have 78 colors anymore. They can only have 30. But nobody can tell the difference and it saves them a half a million bucks a year. So we do that and they merge our company with theirs and all is well. So if there's a moral to these stories, what is it? As far as selling companies, be careful of debt and other partners. I was financially out of control in the first company. A downtick in sales, a substantial one, knocked me out of business. The second company, I was smart enough not to have 300 employees and high overheads, but I needed money to handle a Walmart order, and I didn't have a way to do it without it, and I lost control of the company. And the third one, I had no partners, and I had no debt, and I made over a million bucks on So the littlest company made the most money. The big one was $15 million, the middle one was $6, 7000000 million. Which one was the funnest? The little one. The little one. Well, no, I can't say that. They're all probably pretty exciting. The very first company, we made the cover of National Magazine. I was in Inc. Magazine, Venture Magazine, Sales and Marketing gave us an award. People came out from New York to interview us in Mexico City, Iowa. We were walking on water back then, totally full of ourselves. <laughs> Huge egos. It was fun until the reality hit, but I learned my lesson. Okay, that's wonderful. As far as the product side of things, is you got to talk to consumers and customers. That's evident in this story. All right, Joseph, how did you do $20,314 profit sending a moving announcement for a cosmetic doctor? Can you tell me about that? You bet. I had this client that's a cosmetic doctor does surgery with lasers, 38 different laser procedures, microdermabrasion, Botox, those kinds of things. And she was moving her office, and I just started working with her. She's getting ready to do a moving announcement. This lady is not very marketing savvy, but she does recognize that if she's moving her office and changing her phone number, it might be a good idea to let her customer no. At least I didn't have to try to convince her of that. So I said, how about, instead of doing what you're going to do, let me do it my way and make a sales letter out of it. And I want to get you some sales and make money with your moving announcement. And she says, well, it's not going to work, but okay. So what I did is I put together an offer that if you prepay for six procedures, we'll give you one free. And you can pick the procedure, and some of these things are expensive, you know, thousands of dollars. So we mail this offer out, the sales letter, 
that has their new address, and I'll add in there as well, to her customer list of maybe a thousand people. And as a result, she got over twenty thousand dollars of prepay. This isn't just sales; it's pay in advance treatments you're going to do over the next year and a half. And as we all know, there'll be shrinkage on that. Not everybody will redeem. But how cool is it to be paid in advance? I mean, she never got anything paid in advance. She had trouble collecting. So twenty grand we made her from a thousand piece mailing to change her office address. Did you ever try and license that? That particular one, no, I probably should, but I didn't. Basically, my main thing now is do-it-for-you marketing programs for an industry where I can license it to everybody in the industry. When I did the letter that got her the 20 grand, she said, it was a fluke. It'll never happen again. I said, well, please, let me do one more mailing to your customer list. So, okay, one more, but that's it. So I did it again. We made fifteen or 18000 The same offer? No, different offer. Different offer, same list, two or three months later. So I said, now do you believe direct mail works? She says, no, it's a fluke. I'm going to stay with my newspaper ad. She has a color newspaper ad that runs in the medical section every other week. And I set up tracking, which took me almost a year to get set up and working in her company. And we now have the proof that the newspaper ad did not work. She was going to do the newspaper ad anyway and didn't want to do any more mailing, so I fired her as a client. I said, you don't need me. Your mind's made up as to what you're going to do. What do you need me for? I'm out of here. I'm not doing any good. Why should I charge you money? It makes no sense. The problem for me personally was it's an incredible amount of learning curve to learn enough about cosmetic doctor's products, to learn the oil change business, to learn the handyman business, to learn the painting business. There's a lot to learn to be effective in marketing. A lot of research involved. So now I would rather do the real estate. So instead of doing just one, the real estate is an example. An attorney came to me who does foreclosures. This is the 13570000 of real estate deals called our licensee in his first week. Right. That started because this guy I got introduced to, my financial advisor knew him, and he recommended we talk. He was in the foreclosure business doing cold calling and knocking on doors. But he tried a mailing of a couple thousand letters, and he got zero response. So like other people, he said, direct mail doesn't work. And I said, well, I'm not so sure I agree with that, what you say and how'd you say it? So I did a letter and sent out less than 300 of them, got them 11 calls, and he went nuts. Oh, my God. You mean they'll call me? Now, it took a while. I had to learn that business, too. So there was quite a bit of time involved. I wrote some reports about the seven questions to ask before you do business with anyone trying to save your house in foreclosure and a credit repair. I didn't know anything about this either. I had to learn from him. But he wanted to set up a partnership to do this business. So I said, okay. So we have a limited partnership. And this works great now. We're here in Colorado. My job is to make his phone ring with deals that have equity in them. So we screen the list. We only mail the people with equity, and we get them to call him for his help. So instead of him trying to stick his foot in the door like a vacuum cleaner salesman and try to get a sale, now he says the difference is so amazing. He says now they have the lemonade and cookies out for me, and they're happy to see me because I'm their savior. I'm coming to help. What a difference in the atmosphere of the meeting. And 95% of the people he meets with, he gets a deal done if he wants the deal. Sometimes when you learn more about it, you don't want it. So then we say, okay, let's license this. You know, at this point, I'm further along saying, okay, we can do it here. Why can't we do it elsewhere? Here in Colorado, we're number one in the country in per capita number of foreclosures. Our real estate market here is not growing, though, so the equity isn't here like there are in California and other places. But what we found out from talking to people, and he goes out and talks to each one of them and cuts the deal, they show him two or 300 letters to get in the mail. Everybody calls them, knocks on the door, they get stuff in the mail. And we keep hearing over and over and over, yours is the only letter we call.
called on out of this whole stack because of what we say in the letter, that we're going to help them. We're not out to steal their house or anything. We're going to educate them on the process. We're going to help them even if we don't benefit from it. We have testimonials where we've helped people where the best deal for them was to do something with someone in their family, and we weren't involved financially at all. But we help people, and some we help, we don't make anything, but since we screen our list to start with, you know, that's one out of ten. The whole point is it comes across that we're here to help you first. We're going to educate you about the process and what your rights are. We don't have just one way we learned at a foreclosure seminar. We have five or six ways we can help you, and some don't even involve us. We want to start out by finding out what you want. Do you want to stay in the house? Do you want to move? What do you want? We'll figure out how we can make that happen for you. And that is so different than what everybody else does that it works great. Everyone else is saying, sell me your house, you're in trouble. <laughs> Give me your money. They just didn't. Right. Well, what people here do, the laws vary by state. And in Colorado, after your house is sold at auction, you have 75 days to redeem it after that. You can still get it back. And what the typical foreclosure investor tells people is that once you're sold at auction, you're done. You better make a deal with me today. So they do not tell them that they have 75 more days. If the person is in real difficulty, they don't advise them to go bankrupt. Now, what we do is we tell them, well, if your financial situation is such, what you really need to do is file bankruptcy, but here's the timing. you got 45 days till the house is at auction. You have 75 more days until the end of the redemption period. You want to file your bankruptcy on the 73rd day, and now you've got another 120 days. You can live in this house for almost a year for free. So you were just telling them the truth. We were telling them what's in their best interest. It's in their best interest to have no payments for a year, totally legally. Well, how did that work with your partner? Did you have a good relationship? You were bringing them the deals and he was closing them? Yeah, and we're right now today still doing that, and that's working fine. And we decided we'd try licensing it. And I have a lot of contacts, other marketing consultants. I was in the Y2 marketing thing for a while because I wanted to learn how to sell consulting services get consultants. I knew the marketing part. I made a lot of contacts because the Y2 people weren't very sophisticated on internet or direct marketing, so I ended up teaching the other consultants on conference calls, those two topics, about mailing lists, about direct mail, about internet, and so on. So I make a lot of contacts, and now I send out an email to my list, and a bunch of the Y2 people are interested in my real estate thing. And the guy in California, we sign him up, and he licenses it from us, and we're going to do three mailings for him in California. He's in Oakland. And the first mailing, we got him calls that represented 13 and three-quarters million dollars worth of property. That property had over $5 million in equity. There's an eightplex on Knob Hill in San Francisco. I mean, these properties are expensive. And millions and millions of dollars of equity, and there's either eight or nine deals he had offered to him, and he couldn't close any of them. And we were just sick because we knew if my partner was out there, we would have closed seven out of eight. So he couldn't close them? He couldn't close any. We would have made at least a million bucks off that. So we stopped that process. He didn't want a license anymore because he wasn't getting money from it, which makes sense. And now we're partnering with another guy who does subject twos and some other stuff, and he has some automated things. We're putting that together, and we're going to merge our two companies and do it nationally. So foreclosure will be one piece of it. There will be four modules, foreclosure being one. But there again, the direct marketing part of it was all what do you say and how do you say it because other people do it and get zero results. Are you a student of copywriting? Yes. So who did you study to learn how to do copy? Who are your mentors? Probably most everybody. Gary Halbert, Dan Kennedy, John Carlton. I've read pretty much every book on copywriting. I probably have 200 marketing books. I bought all of Jay Abraham's stuff when he first surfaced a long time back. That was when I had selling the stickers to the doctors. I spent 10 or 15 grand on Jay Abraham's stuff and followed that, and that's how I made the company grow. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about mail order. But I bought Gary Halbert's course and Gary Benjaminga's seminars and Dan Kennedy's Did you go to Gary's recent seminar? Yeah. How was it? Great. What a hoot that guy is. 
I love him. He's great. What's the most important thing you learned walking away from his seminar on copywriting? The number one thing you need to know about copywriting is the arithmetic. It's the numbers. It's so obvious once you hear it, but if you're going to do direct marketing, you analyze the numbers first. Don't try to sell something to people who don't want it. You need, as Gary calls it, the starving crowd. You want to find the starving crowd. If you're going to create a product, don't start with the product. Start with the market. Find that starving crowd first and create the product to fit the needs of the market. And then test it and make sure the numbers work. Because a lot of things I've analyzed for friends, I can say, your project has 0% chance of success. Either there is no list of your target market or the product you're selling is such a small price point and you have no back end that it's not possible for you to succeed. You'd need too high a percent response. So tell people that up front. So that's what Gary said. It's the numbers. What about Gary Benzavinga's course? Did you go to his training? No, I bought his stuff. I didn't go. Oh, you bought his stuff. Yeah, I have the Dan Kennedy's stuff. Dan Kennedy has lots of stuff, of which probably cost me 20 grand to buy all of his. And I've had the Jay Abraham and the Gary Howard, and I did go to the Ted Nicholas one. I've done that, plus I bought the books or the tapes of the ones I haven't been to in person. So I think there's a lot to learn. Marty Chenard's stuff, mathematically based, a lot of his things. But the good thing I got from him is the passion and urgency. Dan Kennedy talks about the passion, but he misses the urgency. All of this information is rehashed around, but they'll tell you you need to have somebody who's passionate. You're starving crowd. You want them passionate about something. But Marty points out they have to have an urgency, too. They have to need it now. You need both. And he has a passion-urgency index. You rate them both on a scale of 1 to 10. And if the two don't multiply to 90, you're better take a pass. Another thing is you can't sell prevention, you can sell cures. I'd have a really hard time selling you a bunch of pills to prevent cancer. I'm going to have a hard time making you believe it would work, and maybe I could get 39 bucks and get a mailing going, maybe. be really, really tough sell. But if you have lung cancer and I have a 100% cure, you'll give me everything you got. How hard will that be to sell? All I have to do is show you it works, because now I have proof because I've cured people. Prevention, I have no proof. So when I have people come to me as a consultant wanting to sell a preventative of something, I tell them, I don't know about that. Let's sell a cure. Cures are easy to sell. And a good example of that with Handyman Matters, they want to sell preventative maintenance to their commercial clients. And I said, okay, I can remember when I had a big factory and you come to me and want to sell me this preventative maintenance service, I'll pass. I'm just not interested in preventative maintenance. I mean, my own people don't see it, they'll find it. So I said, okay, the problem is you're selling prevention. Here's my new model for you guys. Here's how you're going to sell it from now on. Now we have a free maintenance inspection. We will come out once a month. We will go through your factory, your restaurant, your facility, whatever it is. We will find everything that needs fixed. We'll make a list of everything that needs fixed. We will tell you how much everything that needs fixed is going to cost to fix, and you can pick any or none of those to fix. Now, me as an owner of a factory, would I sign up for that? In a heartbeat. It's free. You're going to come and do inspections for me, and I'm not committed to buying anything from you, and I can pick and choose what I want fixed? You got it. I'm there. So is that what you set up for the handyman franchise? Yep. I don't know if they're using it. But that is for sure easy to sell. If you're selling a nice service, you can say the service is worth a thousand bucks. It's free. It has a good value. It has no risk associated with it. It's prevention. It's secure. Tell me how you doubled sales for a Denver painting contractor. Was this a client of yours? Yes. Painting contractors, as a rule, are not marketing quizzes. I ran a mastermind class to teach people marketing, and I had them do homework to create their marketing. I had eight or nine people in that class, and he was one of them. And he never got his homework done. It's a 12-week class held every other week so they have time to do their homework, and he never could get it done. And so at the end of the class, he said, all right, what do you try to do it for me? There's more proof that the do-it-for-you thing is where it's all at. 
So I did my normal consumer research for him and what he does and why should I buy from you, and I built him a website. First off, he needed to have a reason for the consumer to do business with him instead of some other painter. Because if everybody in the consumer's eye are the same, the only thing they have to choose by is price. So if an industry is all price-driven, it's because nobody knows marketing. So when I do marketing for somebody, my first step isn't marketing. My first step is to make sure that they are quantitatively better in some way than their competitors. And if they're not, we need to find out what's important to the consumer and innovate or make ourselves better in a way that matters to the consumer. In the 21 steps that I follow to create marketing, the first seven or eight of those are all about finding out what's important to the consumer and making sure that we, in fact, are better. Because if we're the same as everybody else, what, are you going to use gimmicks in your marketing? No matter how good your marketing is, if everybody you get doesn't come back because you suck, that's a bad deal. So you need to be better first. And in his case, he already was better. They were a better group. They were members of the Painting Association. They had set procedures on employees. They did drug screens. They didn't hire people who had a criminal record. And I put together a 24-page report of the 10 questions to ask before you hire a painting contract and explains, here's what you as a consumer need to know. Here's why you need to know it. And here's how our guy fits that criteria. And we started out by saying they need to have a standard of ethics. And are they in the Better Business Bureau? Do they have any complaints against them? Our guy has never had a complaint in five years. Here's where you can go to check that out. Call this number, go to this website, verify it for yourself. And then how many of them subscribe to the standards of practice for painting? Are you going to have your house painted and it needs it again in a year because they did a rotten job and didn't do surface preparation? If they belong to the Painting and Decorative Coating Association, they follow, as a part of that, these multi-step processes to make sure the job's done right. Then I was able to say, after these two questions, there are 370 painters in Denver, and only eight of us meet those two. So I've gotten rid now of all but seven of the competitors, and now I'm going to get rid of the other seven because we're going to have a guarantee. Painters and trade people never show up on time. They don't call. They're late. So if we're more than 30 minutes late, we'll pay you 50 bucks on the spot, cash. Nobody else does that. So now, after just three of the criteria, we've eliminated the other 371 companies, and I have 15 more criteria to go. So we've differentiated them and built the case that they are quantifiably better. Why do you care about background checks? Well, have you heard in the news that David Letterman's son was kidnapped by a handyman or all these horror stories of people coming into your home and your wife or kids are there alone? Really bad stuff. You really better not do business with somebody who doesn't do these background checks. You know, when we do these background checks, only three out of ten pass. Our competitors hire the other seven. By the time I'm done with them, they're going to use this guy. Then what I do is I do my marketing to advertise the free consumer report. We put a half-page ad in the yellow pages. The perfect example here, he'd never done a yellow pages ad. He wasn't even in the yellow pages. A half-page ad in the Denver yellow pages is the biggest ad that any painter has, and it costs three grand a month. So I'm asking this little guy to commit to 36000 bucks for an ad that he's never done. And he said, whoa. I tell him, well, well, you really want to be the biggest in the category, and here's what we're going to do to convince you it's going to work. I'm going to do you an ad, and you're not going to like the ad. What was the headline? One of the four mistakes everybody makes hiring a painting contractor, something like that. The ad itself had his picture in the upper left-hand corner because he's a good-looking guy, and it looks like a newspaper article with bullets and sub-ads. What was his reaction when you showed it to him? Yuck. Ugly. Nobody will ever read all that copy. I said, I know that's why you feel that way, Rick. Guess what? We're doing I'm going to test it, and here's how I'm going to test it. I'm going to create this ad, and I'm going to scan in the ads that are there now. You know, he has six competitors with half-page ads. So we scan in those ads, and we scan in the ad I did, and we put them all on the yellow paper background so they all look like they're scanned out of the yellow pages. I get seven of them, put them on a web page, 
set them up so they rotate evenly, so no one is first every time. Send out a survey to my list of people saying, if you're a homeowner, please answer the survey. You get about five or 600 responses, which is plenty. And the ad I did for him and one other ad are pretty much a tie. The other five, nowhere's close. The question was, just one question, which ad would you call first? Just that. The stats say when people use the yellow pages, there's 1.6 calls on average. They typically do business with the first one they call or maybe the second. So if your ad's going to work right, you want to be first. Net result, I tied with one other ad, and I show them all this. And I said, that isn't going to cut it. Tying with the other ad isn't good enough. I'm going to change the ad. So I changed the ad. Not a lot, but I changed it around. What change did you make? I ended up with the four mistakes headline and didn't start that way. And then I took the one I tied with and the next two, so I had four, and I did another survey. And this time, the one that tied me last time, I beat it two to one. And I show them all those numbers. I show them the ads. I show them the statistics. I show them the results. I show them all that. And he says, okay, let's run the ad. Because now I've given them some proof it's going to work. That was last year. We did some other things, too. We did direct mail. We did radio commercials. We did all kinds of stuff. But the main thing was the ad. This year, when the yellow pages came out, his six competitors are down to a quarter page or an eight page. His half page ad is the only half page ad. <laughs> As always, I got a lot of resistance from the yellow pages salespeople. They say, this is never going to work. Can't do this. Yeah, right. What do you tell them? I tell them, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> and I didn't let them give me a tracking number because the yellow pages guy told me how many calls all the competitors were getting. And I said, if I let them provide the tracking number, they're going to tell everybody else how well this ad works, and they're going to try to knock me off. So I set up a separate service to provide a tracking number that has nothing to do with the yellow pages. Good job. And I have another twist. I have a way to have variable copy in the yellow pages app. We have a call-in toll-free number that you call through the monthly special. And we don't say with the specialist in the app. There is a special every month. And you call this toll-free number to get it. And then we will run a test. If it isn't converting very well, we'll change it. So what we have is a special in a yellow pages ad that changes every month, or more than that if it needs to. On your voicemail? Yeah, it's a menu-driven system from automated marketing systems. And it's not expensive, and they capture all the data, the caller ID and the people who call and everything. But the important thing is that is a way to have variable content in the Yellow Pages ad, which I've never seen anybody do. Once the call is made from the Yellow Page ad, you're able to have variable content on the, on the phone message. Yeah, it's an extension of your ad. You're right. What other people do is they might say 10% off in the Yellow Pages ad. Most of them put no promotion in their ad. That's right. They're making one offer, and they're locked into it for a year. You've eliminated that, and you can make multiple offers. Yeah, I can vary it, and I can use the one that works. That's a great idea. A lot of this stuff is just simple common sense, but until you hear about it, other people don't do that. Most Yellow Pages ads don't have offers at all. But if they do have an offer, why not be able to vary it and make it work better? And your monthly offer can be the same every month. If you get a knockout winner, why change it? So tell me the growth. What happened to the painting contractor once that ad ran? Better than doubled. It was 87% growth right away. His problem is hiring people. He had about 15 or 16 crew people, two or three in a crew, and it took him up to 30-some. And his limiting factor was finding painters. He would probably have better than doubled if he could find the people. But following his promise to the consumer that he's going to do background checks, it's hard to find people. Three out of ten, fast. So his biggest problem right now, and I'm actually not even doing anything for him anymore because he doesn't need me to. His problem is hiring painters. So when he's ready for more marketing, he'll call me back. He has a problem with managing the people. You know, you've got 30 people running around where you used to have 15. I know how that is, people management. So he's got to get his business together now, his operations together. But he is the dominant one in the old pages in Denver now. That's great. Great story. Tell me about how you reached the president of a billion-dollar company. I was in the promotional products business, and I've been in that on and off for years and years and years. 
and I was selling a business opportunity for promotional products on a website. So I know that business. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But what I wanted to do is reach the president of Kinko's. Mm -hmm. Well, Kinko's is a huge, huge company. Because I thought Kinko's should offer promotional products on all their stores. And I could do that for them. I could set it up so that all our stores would offer promotional products. So I said, okay, how am I going to reach the president of Kinko's? I tried calling on the phone, which gets you nowhere. They probably have multiple secretaries at the screen. I never got anywhere on the phone. So what I ended up doing is I sent him a greeting card. But I had to find out something about him. I found out he'd just been promoted to the job or just got the job 30 days earlier. So I sent him a card congratulating him on his new job as a new president of Kinko's. I had my wife handwrite the address. I put a, as I call them, big-ass commemorative stamp on it, not a American flag, a machinable stamp, but a big one. I drew the line. I didn't have her put perfume on it. I thought about that. I said, nah, better not. But I figured that if anything is going to get through the screening process, that a greeting card coming in a woman's handwriting is my best shot. And I didn't hear anything for a while, but about four or five weeks later, I got a response back. The president didn't call me directly, but I did get a call from one of his people because I had put an offer in the card about what I could do for them. And they said that they had already looked into promotional products and decided they really weren't interested in going that direction. I didn't tell them anything as a result, but I got through and I got a response. And a lesson from that story for anyone doing direct mail? Personalize it. Handwrite the address. Handwrite. In the foreclosure process, I mentioned they send letters out there. I have a sequence. It's seven things. And the first one is handwritten in a six-by-nine-inch brown envelope, handwritten address, big commemorative stamp. That will get opened. That's two of the seven processes? That's the first step. The second step is a regular number 10 envelope with a tight address. But the first step is the handwritten. The thing that Jerry Halbert says, he's right on about that. He says, if you make it look like a personal letter on the outside, when they open it, what's inside, it better be a personal letter. Because if when you open it, what's inside is color brochures, the recipient feels tricked. And I've had that happen. I've received letters that were handwritten on the outside, and I opened them up, and it was all sales literature. I just threw it right in the trash. And Gary says it makes so much sense. If you're getting through to somebody to be put in, as he calls it, a pile mail, it gets opened and not put in the trash. When they open it, what they see better be a personal letter so they don't feel tricked. In the foreclosure real estate one, I have the person's name in the headline of the letter with variable data now. You can have the variable content in the letter and in the headline of the letter, not just the dear John. You get it throughout. I know recently you're now an expert when it comes to Internet marketing. Can you tell me about the one $995 opt-in email that gets you 35 people to pay $87,500 for the rights to sell a client's product? You bet. The way that works, the 87000 is the total sales. In the promotional products industry, which I've been in, there are right around 4,000 factories, around 40 or 50,000 people selling over 700,000 products. And none of those factories, of those 4,000, nobody charges anybody money to sell their product. Everybody is fighting tooth and nail to get their product noticed. So I get a client who wants to charge $2,500 for people to sell his product. What kind of product was it? Personalized calendars where the photographs of each month of the calendar are your own pictures of your family, and they have your birthdays, your anniversaries, your kids' birthdays, and so on on the date section. What was his thinking? He sees everyone else in the ASI, especially the ad industry, is offering their product free to anyone ASI. And what was his thinking in his mind about why he would even think he'd be able to do that? He doesn't know the industry is the answer to that. He doesn't know anything about the promotional products industry, and he thinks it's totally reasonable. And he's the client, and I'm not going to convince him otherwise of that. He's paying you to do consulting. Yeah. So I say, okay, here's what we're going to do. The cheapest thing I can think of is we can send a smart blast, which actually was 8.95, I think, 
to all of the industry distributors. It goes out to 43,000 people. Who did you do that through? Smartblast.com. There's three services that will send an email out to the industry. And it's called smartblast.com? Yeah. And they'll send out emails? Yeah, they have an opt-in list of people who want to get their emails about new products in the promotional products industry. There's supplier specials that also does it, and I've never done business with ASI, but I'm sure they do it too. And how many names were on the list? 43,000. Okay, and that was going to cost how much? 900 bucks. If you ever looked into opt-in email, that's really cheap. That's a pretty good price, yeah. It's really 10 or 20 cents a name. So that four or 5,000 would be more typical, but 900 is a good deal. So what I did, I created three headlines and two graphics. So I've got six different ads, and I have three different headlines for the subject line of the email. And basically what I'm trying to do is test. And 43,000, I figured I can break that up a bit and see what works best. And I found it very interesting when I talked to them that nobody had ever asked them for even a split test. Of all these 4,000 factories, they send out one of these smart blasts almost every day. And of all these factories in this industry, nobody has ever thought to test anything. They've never been asked. So I had to talk to their IT people, and I finally got them to agree to do the test. They got me down to four, so I had four versions. A two by two. And basically, I set up the email to get people to inquire and go to a website about this service to do these calendars. We were doing a number of things that were unique, one being that each end recipient of the promotional product had their own pictures on it, so that is sort of cool. And they were able to do it themselves on a computer. So the product itself was a very nice product, but I can go to my local quick printer and get one made over there too. And he wanted to charge 2500 bucks to get people to do this. So I set out my test, and I wrote him a landing page for his website where the landing page takes him into a demo of how the whole thing works. And once they opted in at the landing page, then he would talk to him on the phone. And he closed 75% of the ones he talked to. He made 87000 in sign-up fees from that one email. Wow. So did the one email, four different versions, go out to the whole list? No. We ended up with four, so it went, what would that be, about 10000 of each of the four. We split the list in fours. If I sent the whole thing to all four, they would have charged me 900 bucks four times. I see. So you split it up. Okay. Did you figure out which one worked best? Yeah. The best one to the worst was about a two-to-one, and the two in between were in between. But the guy didn't need me to do another one. But as a result of that test, if I had ever had to do direct mail or more emails, I knew what my new headline would be. I knew what one. What I would do next time, and the reason I called that Taguchi guy, a friend of mine went to a Taguchi seminar that Koalik gave, which was only one. Did it one time, and now it was reported in Forbes, I believe it was, that they were doing it for companies for a quarter of a million bucks a pop. But at the one seminar, I got the matrices and the methodologies to how to do it, so I can do it myself. So a quarter million bucks versus free, that's a tad of a difference. But the guy who did your recording with you sounds like he has a do-it-for-you thing to help you with that. Yeah, he's got the software and all that. I have what they gave us from Koalik seminar, which I have... Um, about 18 of the grid, mm-hmm. the way to analyze them. It's all on Excel. So I have that. But the guy I talked to, my friend who went to the seminar, said the very biggest problem with Taguchi is designing the test in the first place. You need to have the variables be substantially different. And they recommended using that TRIS, T-R-I-S method from Russia, as creative ways to come up with the things. So there's more to it than just the analysis of figures structuring the test. Can you tell me how you got to number one and the number two ranking in both Google and Yahoo out of 3.9 million competitors? That's the business opportunity I had for six years where I was putting people in the promotional products business for $1,000. 
competing against the franchises that do the same thing for 20000 or more. And I have a sales letter website, and doing the search engine optimization and the links, of publishing a bunch of things. One thing is content distribution, where you're publishing articles and getting them distributed to other sites where you get one-way links back. When I first started, I used Zeus and set up 5,000 reciprocal links, which worked back then but doesn't work now. You know, the Internet changes weekly. Zeus was like an automatic thing, right? Yeah, and you can still use Zeus, but I wouldn't use it for that. It's an Internet robot. It's your own programmable Internet robot, and what it does is it goes out and looks for websites that have your keywords on them and also have a link page, and then it makes a big, long list of those, and then you can send an email to all of those people. Wow. So that's software? Yes. Basically what it is is you're creating your own Internet spider, just like Google has. It goes out and crawls around the Internet and looks for things just like they do a search. It's your own little search thing. Okay. So you did that back then and got 5,000 one-way links back? Yeah, 5,000 reciprocal links. I did the one-way linking later because that's what works now. One-way linking is harder because a reciprocal link is a trade. A one-way link, you want somebody who has a site that people care about to link to you without you linking back to them. So to get somebody to do that, what are you going to give them? You have to give somebody something to do a deal of that sort. So what you give them is you give them free content for their website. You write articles about how to do stuff that are relevant for their website, and there are websites that are looking for content. They publish your article on their site keep your link intact, and now you have a one-way link by giving somebody else some content they need. Okay. Is that what you did with this company? Yeah. So how many articles did you write? Seven or eight. Do you know some article websites that are good to do that? I think it's submitit.com. is a service that will submit six articles a month, which is more than I could get done, and it'll submit them to the content directory sites, of which there are hundreds. Submitit.com? Yeah, it may be submit-it, or it might be submit-it without a dash. And what that does is you go in, it takes a little time. You have to set up your account with them properly with all the different sites. It takes an hour or two to set up. But once you're set up, then when you write an article, you distribute it automatically to all these sites that collect content, the webmasters to go to. Are there hundreds of them? There's probably 100 content distribution sites. I did three recently for my own website. I checked how many backlinks I got, and I got about... 1,500, 1,800 links from three articles. Wow, that's great. So you create an article of something people want to know about, and you distribute it that way. It's free content. That's one of the best things now, to get one-way links. And submit it will allow you to do how many a month? They'll send out six of them for you per month, like 39 bucks a month. And you just recently did this and got that many backlinks? Yeah, earlier this year. I'm not doing it anymore because the purpose of doing that was to get visitors to my site, and I realized that I don't want visitors to go there and ask me to do consulting because I don't want to do consulting. So dumb me, hit me upside the head with a two-by-four. I'm trying to create traffic to get me things I don't want. How many visitors are you getting now on that site? That I don't know. It's not huge. A couple thousand a month, nothing to much to much. People who are going there because I told them about it one way or the other. I send people to my website now because I have about 40 articles there, a ton of content for people about how to do marketing and internet marketing and direct marketing, and it's all free. I do have some things I'm selling there, but I don't even really try to sell them. My main point of that site is a credibility site if I want to do a joint venture with somebody. That's what it's there for. Now. All right, so let's get back to the story how you got this. Oh, the promotional product. Yeah, you did the one-way linking back to their site. In chronological order, I did reciprocal links first and one-way links last. Reciprocal links worked fine at the beginning. The other thing I did is another thing that doesn't work too well now, which is doorway pages. In the database I had of products, I had 180. 
84 categories, you know, like bumper stickers, watches, glasses, different types of things you can get imprinted with your company name. So what I did is I built 184 websites, one focus on each one of those. So I had a website about bumper stickers, keyword optimized for bumper stickers, and then that links back to the main site. And it still works some now. It's just not as good as it used to be. But what that does is it's building a network of feeder sites to bring traffic into the main site. And if somebody goes and types bumper stickers into Google, then they find my bumper sticker site. Then they funnel back into mine. So that does two things. It brings traffic, and it helps your search engine rank. Because if the search engines think the more sites that are linked to the site, the better it might be. So you get some rank because of links. And then I had several sites. I started out with promotionalproductsconsulting.com, then I had promotionalproductscc, and I had hpas.com, and then I did a deal with another guy with his site. And my top time of this, if you had gone in Yahoo and put in promotional products, eight out of the top ten listings were me. It's not that way anymore. I sold the company a couple of years ago, and the guy who bought it doesn't maintain any of this stuff. And that brought you traffic to sell 1,320 people in businesses, your distributorship opportunities in the promotional products industry for 995 bucks each. Right. My goal with that whole thing was to make sales without having to talk to people. And it worked, right? It works. You did have to talk to some. Yeah, probably a third of the people call, or maybe half. You get calls of people who want to really see if the phone works, if there's really somebody there, are you real? And one of the most important things I did for the real thing is I had the Better Business Bureau logo at the top of my page with a link to click on to see I've never had a complaint. That's important because if you don't have your street address and your regular phone number, and if you're like a website that has no way to contact you on the phone or on the fax, be in Kuala Lumpur for all you know, and a ripoff. Every claim I made, I had facts for it, 23 testimonials, every single one of them with numbers, where my best guy made close to a million dollars in one year. Well, for a $1,000 investment, that's pretty cool. Yeah, what was the opportunity? They made more money than I did. Well, putting them in promotional products as a distributor, which you can get from Adventures in Advertising or Proforma for around twenty to 30000 or you can get from me for 1000 Do you have that product still? No, it's gone. I sold it. I've never gotten over how cool is it is to open your email and see that three people sent you a thousand bucks today. I'm not doing that any longer. I'm doing the do it for you marketing now. In your direct mail and copywriting, you've got a case study here about an infomercial done as a joint venture with MTV that generated 250,000 calls in two weeks for a product that cost $129 thanks to your copywriting and direct marketing. What's this all about? This is one of the funnest things I ever did for totally unrelated to marketing reasons. My very first client I ever had as a consulting client, while I still had my other businesses, came to me and wanted help with marketing, and he had the rights to this thing called a skate bike. And what this is, is it's like a unicycle, but it has another metal bar coming out the front with skateboard wheels in the front, so it's easier to ride than a unicycle. And the inventor was from France, and he had this product, and he needed help with two things. He needed help with manufacturing, and he needed help with marketing. These things cost about $60 to make here in the U.S. So I had some international contacts way back then because I was selling my stickers all over the world and I developed contacts in other countries. So I said, I think I can help you with that. The first thing we did is I went over to Malaysia and to Korea and I found bicycle factories over there who could make this and I got his cost down to 25 bucks. And that included a full color box to package it in so it could go in a store. Then the next thing, we wanted to do a direct response TV commercial. And remember, this is 20 years ago. Now, to create a direct response TV commercial is about a quarter million bucks to test one nowadays, according to Dan Kennedy and the people I know who do it. But back then, it was cheaper. And what we did is we created a commercial. It was just 60 seconds. 
was a lead generation commercial, and the guy who owned the rights to this company had more money than sense, but he got Remington, the shaver guy, to fund it, Remington Trading Division, to provide the funding for all this, because I'm going over to Malaysia, and we're shipping containers loads of these things back, well, that costs money. Even though we cut the price in half, it still costs money. So I work with them to figure out what are we going to do on this commercial? How are we going to get kids to call so we can send them on our brochure? Since we only have 60 seconds, and I figured really what we need is something visual. So we went and found some of the kids who were out getting paid to do tricks, professional skateboard guys, and we went to Hawaii, and we put them on these skate bikes, and we filmed for several days. I mean, I couldn't even ride one of these, but these guys could get on them and do amazing stuff. I couldn't even balance on it. So that was the start. We got this neat thing halfway made. It wasn't all made, but it was pretty cool what these kids could do. And then we went to CMTV, figured that's the logical place to put this thing. And the deal we wanted to do with them is we wanted to have per inquiry, which MTV is huge now, and you could never do that kind of deal. But what we did is we were going to sell a thing for $99, and we were going to give them 25 bucks on each sale. And you know how this goes, sort of like the Target thing, back and forth back and forth. It ends up at $129 with MTV getting 54 instead of 25 And the thing that clinched the deal is we were willing to rename it the MTV Laurent. They put their name on it. And now that it had their name on it, they had a whole bunch of shows where they'd go to spring break and they'd go to here and they'd go to there and mm-hmm. they'd put our product on there. What they call VJs would be riding it. And they were riding it up and down the halls in MTV in their office and making holes in the wall when it crashed. <laughs> it was very popular. So we ran the direct response spots and we ran there's like 250 of them in two weeks. A lot. And it got the quarter million calls. So far, so good, right? Where were the calls coming into? A fulfillment center you guys set up? Yeah, we had to use two. Back then, it was West and Wassell Marketing, which were enemies because they used to be together. But they were able to put 300 people on the phone. They had three or 400 operators ready to answer the phone. You had to have a huge company to do that because the calls come in right now. I mean, you run an ad, and you call in the next five minutes, and it's over. Anyway, we had all the calls coming in. It took me a while to get the manufacturing set up, and we had the deal cut. When we went down to Fort Lauderdale, this guy I was working with, my client, he was a real young guy, but he'd made some money somewhere, something related with telecommunications. And I was teasing him because he had this Porsche that he spent 100 grand on. And I said, you know, this Porsche looks like every other Porsche. They all look the same. The girls aren't going to be impressed. What you need is a Ferrari. And I know just the place. There's the auto toy store. It's <laughs> yeah. Ferrari. So we go over there, and we decide to rent one. So we rent a 328 Ferrari for the weekend, which is $2,500 a day and 2 bucks a mile. Not cheap. He drives that around. We're driving around for a while. This is, I guess, on a Friday. And he says, oh, I really like this. I think I'm going to buy one. Because I'm teasing him unmercifully the whole time. This is a cool car. Your car sucks. So we go back, and the place we rented it from wasn't open, but the auto tow store, the place where you buy them was. So this guy was really good at selling. He was able to buy one by giving the guy his bank's number and all that, and they let him take it without the final payment. So now we have two Ferraris, and we had two Ferraris for the whole weekend. And we just chased each other all around Fort Lauderdale and Southern Florida and checked out the girls and all. I thought it was so much fun because I didn't have to pay for it. He did buy the Ferrari. He followed through on Monday, wired the money to that place. What I find out later is the deal of Victor Kayam and Remington, his trading division, financing this thing. All of that fell apart. They couldn't print the brochures because they didn't have the money. So we've got a quarter of a million inquiries from telemarketing of people who want a brochure on how to buy this $129 thing, and they don't mail a brochure. He spent the money on a Ferrari. I was going to make a couple bucks a bike. I was to make a dollar a bike on everyone on the production side and $2 a bike on everyone sold on the sales side. That's how I was getting paid. That's the problem. You can get a fluff of leads and inquiries, but if the business can't execute, the lead is a whole different story. And you do your marketing thing up front. You put all your time and effort and energy that you're going to do to make the money up front, and you find out on the back end 
they can't fulfill. I did my job fine. We got tons of calls. We got the thing made for half what he could get it made. I did my piece, but he couldn't mail the brochure. And needless to say, MTV wasn't very happy with him either. I don't know what eventually happened. The guy must have gone and hid somewhere because he used up a lot of Remington's money and stuff like a Ferrari. I mean, come on now. That's a good story. That's the end of our two-hour recording, and if you're interested in taking Joe's detailed course on how to get your product into Walmart and other mass merchandisers, call Michael at 858-274-7851 or email Michael at michaelsenoff.com. That's Michael at michaelsenoff.com. and write in the subject line in all caps outline and I will send you the complete outline of Joe's course on how to get your product into Walmart and other mass merchandisers. You'll be glad you did. Thanks for listening and take care.